Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. And this is a photograph that I took uh, on my birthday in 2012 in the Yosemite Valley. It's a really cool shot. I like it a lot. I think this is looking south, just around sunset. But it's, you know, it's near that time in late November where sunset seems to be around 3.30, at least anywhere, anywhere where there's tall mountains next to it. And that's kind of what we were getting here. It's like maybe 3.30, 4 o'clock, and you're really getting to the last ends of the day. Like anybody in the winter knows, it seems like anytime after 2 o'clock, it's sort of like getting close to sunset as it just kind of sweeps in around 5 o'clock or so. But this was a really cool spot. Loved this. And, and what we did here is we had to cut this as a panorama. So what you're looking at is really five pictures, maybe four pictures that I stitched together in Photoshop at the lodge in Yosemite that night. And I was really proud of myself. I did a lot of work on each of these uh, to kind of get it to, to fit and stitch together correctly. I thought it was pretty cool. It was, uh, it was one of the, I think, first projects I did to make uh, a panoramic stitched image uh, while only working with a 50 millimeter lens. I think my effort was to, to just try and get flexibility so I could get types of photographs made while still using really basic glass. And it worked out really well. It was a good experiment. And this is really where I had a lot of latitude with a 50 millimeter lens, turning it sideways, shooting panos, stitching it together. I really liked this one. It was, it was on my birthday. It was one of my favorite photographs at the time. You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. My name is Billy Newman. I'm a photographer based in Oregon. I do a lot of landscape work. And uh, this image was taken in California on a trip that we did to Mount Shasta, to the east side of Mount Shasta, which is kind of a, a really cool spot. It's kind of interesting near the town of Mount Shasta, near the town of McLeod, if I remember right. There's a lot of good stuff over there, a lot of good camping, too. There's a lot of, um, I think it was the Shasta Trinity National Forest that stretches out over there. So there's a lot of public land that uh, that's developed enough and accessible for for a number of things you can do for summer recreation. It was pretty cool. I remember going up to a lookout tower up there, checking out some stuff. I think there's a fire lookout tower. Some old timer was up there too. But this image was taken on Government Camp Road uh, in the evening as the sun was setting. And this is kind of looking up to the, I guess it's the east face of Mount Shasta on the east side. Uh, and it's a really beautiful spot, but I kind of love the angle of it there, kind of the sweep that the mountain had. And I tried as hard as I could to sort of to sort of square that up the way I wanted and match that up with the trees and the grass and the shadows and get some of those tones. But this was shot on that N80 film camera. Some of my best images from one of the cheapest, most, I don't know, just common cameras that are out there. Really cool stuff, and I love that I got it. It was really fun. Reminds me a lot of great stuff from that trip. It's cool. You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way. 
through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash billynewmanphoto. How about these different features related to Logic Pro 10.5? Um, so I think it's like a general overview. There's one specifically about the live loops feature that I was mentioning is, uh, is one of those premier new uh, new interface features that's now part of Logic Pro 10.5. In addition to that, I think they've created a step sequencer, a new sampler. I think they have a, a quick sampler now, and they have a, a full sampler where you can go through and make your own samples to make your own loops. Uh, so you can really be producing your own music, and, uh, and I think that's I think it's really cool the kind of stuff that you can do. That's a big update that they've done. I think they they talk about like what is the ES ESX twenty four twenty seven something like that. It was this old sampler, this old uh, sampler software that was probably some third party pr plugin that ended up being bought and then ended up being integrated into Logic. That's speculation, but the way that it looks, it just doesn't look like Apple had ever designed it. Uh, so it's like it's this crazy looking kind of silver software with a ton of buttons and knobs and stuff. It looks like it was supposed to be some some real object, you know, like a, like if they made some some actual pedal board. You know, it looks like a drum machine or something, uh, but it's laid out in as a software in front of you, and it's just impossible, it seems to me, to use. So uh, so Apple's gone through and updated that. Uh, that kind of legacy piece. Uh, some people are happy about it. Some people are mad about it. I see some people writing in forums, long live the ESX sampler. And then everybody or plenty of people saying they're, they're happy to see it go and that they're happy to see it uh, replaced by a more modern piece of uh, a more modern utility. So there's a lot of cool features in that stuff too, where you can, you can really get into recording and making your own samples or, or taking a piece of music that you've already recorded and having, the sampler go through and auto select these regions of it so you can go through with your, like your keyboard and you can trigger those regions with your keyboard to play that to play that sound out it's it's really fascinating the kind of sampling that you can do with it uh gosh i mean there's just so much production you can do with it so uh as it goes for podcasting hmm, i wonder if i'm going to use logic i think i think logic well, you know and really honestly like most of the audio production stuff that i would do even to its small degree which i mean honest god it's really nothing i could do this on my phone or not not that you know my phone is great but just i'm not doing anything right so um, so i might I, you know i stopped using sonar because it was kind of overkill to do the multi-tracking stuff uh, for, for just a podcast for some audio or mastering stuff, it seems like, uh, I have a grip of how to do the editing in logic, maybe a little better than I do in audition, even though I've been using audition for years. Uh, I kind of have the same, the same process and stuff, but there's, there's sort of a way that this is something that I don't understand yet. And if someone that actually understands logic has listened to any of this, they should tell me about it. But, uh, it seems like in audition, when you have an audio file, like a wave loaded into the program and you're looking at it and editing it, editing it, if you were to apply, say, an EQ effect or a compressor, once you have those settings and then you apply it, it'll render that change to the wave and you have to wait for it. You have to wait like 20 seconds when you apply when you apply an effect, like a hard limiter or a compressor or a de -esser, and it'll change the full waveform that you're seeing there. In, in Logic, it seems... I guess more like a non-destructive editor where you have your original waveform in your track and then over in the mixer you can apply uh, sends or you can apply these effects as a stack that you can turn on and off and it'll, it'll kind of live 
mix that section of audio that you're hearing. And so you can you can stack on a compressor first, change those settings, and stack on an EQ, and then stack on a de-esser, and then stack on a limiter or something at the end of that, or a, a limiter on your, your master output, something. I don't know. I think that's how you're supposed to do it. So you can do that, and then you can change those settings, and you're not really adapting the original waveform you're not doing you're not doing that in a stage where if if you turn one on or one off that you're you're kind of rendering the whole file in advance i don't know if i have that totally right but that's something i'm trying to figure out so some things that you notice from that is audition or programs that kind of bake in the setting effect that you're you're making a change to seem to operate a lot faster. I think because the track is sort of is sort of rendered and frozen, and it's not have, the processor is not having to do any live rendering of of added effects on top of the file that's already trying to have to have to grab that file and then play that file and then add another layer of digital processing to it that you selected through changing settings and then render those settings to the wave file as it plays it without much latency man it just sounds like a, a lot of task to do so i guess when you have like a, a bigger logic project with 24 instrument tracks all with compressors and limiters and and whatever other effects uh, changes there are on it uh, I, apparently it's just really processor intensive and it, it i don't know i've already noticed like even just with a few of the smaller demo projects that they have installed with it and even with my computer being okay it's uh, it's already like hit like a CPU overload a few times, and Logic, Logic producers have talked about this a ton of times. There's a bunch of videos out there on uh, like how to stop your CPU overload messages. Some of it's talking about changing your buffer size. Some of it's talking about selecting tracks and freezing them. Uh, or uh, there's a process called freezing a track, sort of similar to what we just talked about with Audition, where you're you're kind of baking in or rendering that track out so that the processor doesn't have to worry about it anymore. And then from there on, uh, you, you can just kind of mix on the single track that you're you're working on at that time. If you're working on a multi-track project, you select the, I don't know, select the guitar, but then you can freeze all the drums so that whatever mix that they, whatever mix state they were in, the computer doesn't have to worry about processing. It'll only worry about processing the live effects on that single guitar track in the sense that you're 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 making changes to. It's cool. Um, I don't know. There's a few different features and stuff you can do to it. And it's interesting how all of these, uh, these different digital audio workstation controls have come up over the years. I think like for this logic stuff, you know, this is what they're trying to sell Mac pros for. I'm sure like even a Mac mini would be a killer, uh, logic workstation for a studio. But, uh, but yeah, they like that new Mac pro, that gnarly one with, you know, 128 cores. I think one of the things they were, they were trying to demonstrate with that is, you know, with, uh, with a massive a massive amount of core and what is it probably like eight or 12 or something for the more standard one i think that or the whole background of getting you know a ton of ram and a ton of processor space and a ton of cores was uh, to do some of these larger studio mixes of logic projects you know say if you have a symphony or you have like a full orchestra or something that you're trying to do a mix of you have these live effects and compressors running on every track and you could have up to you know a hundred or a thousand tracks or something running with these live uh these live effects that have to be processed on it and so the idea was and I, i've heard this at other times that uh, that larger studios would take would take mac pros and run them in tandem so that they would have as many tracks as that individual Mac Pro could have, and then that would be bust down. 
that would be bussed down into another mixer where they would have all of those. Is that making sense? Yeah, they would have, let's say, like, uh, I don't know, let's say 100 tracks would be on Mac Pro 1, and then they would have 300 tracks in total, so they would have Mac Pro 2 and 3, and each of those would have 100 tracks that it was responsible for operating in Logic, and then it would run in tandem and then be mixed out to a bus so that you would have all of those tracks rendered down into the 300 onto their their channels. I don't know. It's it's crazy stuff, but it's it's kind of this like reduction process. They don't need to do that anymore, apparently, because the I don't know is what they're trying to sell. You know, these uh, the the newer Mac Pros, or if you max out a computer to its fullest, you you can kind of handle some of these larger processor intensive uh, projects like that. In response to that, man, I remember in two thousand three using Cool Edit Pro to do twenty four track multi-track projects on a computer with 800 megahertz and i didn't really have a problem with it so i'm not really quite sure what i'm understanding about logic or about audio production stuff in that in that capacity it seems like there's some other some other tools or other utilities around uh not tools but uh just some other concepts right that uh, that allow you to do stuff without some of the limit i don't know some of the processor limitations that's always kind of frustrating when the technology kind of gets in there to fight with you. But, uh, but I'm sure that the intent of it is that you do more live processing. That means you have to, you have to do less, uh, rendering time on each individual track. And man, the mixing process can be really frustrating if you have to render out a million different variations of changes, which is kind of different projects that I've gotten stuck in over the years. So man, I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but, uh, it's cool. Yeah. been trying out logic pro 10.5 in the, the studio staff learning some keyboard controls, learning how to run some live loops, been trying to mess around with some different mixes and stuff. It's cool. Yeah, you just grab those loops, throw them in. I can make a, uh, what I've been trying to do is make like a drum, bass, and sort of texture sound loop that kind of has a couple changes in it. And then I can take a guitar, plug it into the audio interface, set effects that are built into Logic. You can pull up like a pedal board in Logic and then have that adapt the sound of your incoming real instrument and then run that into a track or even just play live into a track and then have those live loops kind of running on the side of it. So you can kind of create like a, you know, like a jam loop or something, you know, you don't have a band to play with. So you can kind of create a couple other instruments that have pieces and then that are going to key that are going to repeat. And then you can kind of find whatever it is in the guitar that, that you want to to kind of work out an idea or, or work on you know, playing through something. So it's kind of cool. I've been trying that out a bit too. And then uh, once you do have an idea, it's really easy to just kind of lay that down into a track and create a demo out of it. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on billynewmanphoto.com. A few new things up there, some stuff on the homepage, some good links to other other outbound sources, some, some links to books, some links to some podcasts, links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at billynewmanaphoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.